Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, December 21st, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, Safari rendering bugs, more location hash gotchas, and a rundown of development tools including Knockout.js, Markup.js, Yeoman, and Reflector. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How's it going? Uh, here. <laughs> Again? Again. <laughs> if it wasn't for all the stress in my life, I'd you know I'd have nothing going on. I'd be bored. So. <laughs> yeah, a lot going on. Yeah, I spent spent eight hours yesterday in the hospital with the kid. Ugh, God. Yeah, every everyone thought she had appendicitis, but it turned out to not be. Mm-hmm. Was it that? Was it a stomach flu thing? Uh, I don't know. I, all of the tests came back negative, and I mean, so yeah, I guess she she's fine today. Uh. Well, that's yeah. I guess that's good. Yeah, Monday Monday and yesterday she was pretty down, and um. You know, like I took her to the doctor and, and they said, you know, okay, you need to take her to the hospital for more tests. And mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So That's always fun. She's, she's fine. So, you know, that, that's all that matters. Right. Crazy. Well, we're all still sick here. Well, everyone except for me. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes me run down because I end up doing, doing everything. Yeah. It's like yeah. wacky, round-the-clock craziness. But uh, fortunately, Gamma came today and picked up the little meatball. That is good. Yes. Those those videos you sent me were hilarious. Yes. For the, the benefit of our dear listener, Kelly sent Cooper a stomp rocket, which is hilarious. It's like a little, little tripod that you stick a Nerf missile on top of, and it has a hose hanging off it that you, uh, you know, you... you jump on the bellows and it shoots the rocket off yeah. but he didn't get the hang of it at first so he was trying all different ways to trigger it including a very slow headbutt <laughs> yes that was the best <laughs> but he's got it all figured out today he's got the one foot karate chop going <laughs> so we gotta you gotta keep your head down for nerf missiles flying all over <laughs> nice yeah super fun so wow, got a, I think we have a, a big show today. Actually, uh, big, yeah, big bug report, a bunch of tools to talk about. But first, some housekeeping. Uh, as the dear listener has probably noticed, we're not doing the music at the beginning or end of the podcast anymore. Uh, initially, because it was taking an inordinate amount of time to put that on, so I was just being lazy and wanted to stop doing it. But the other thing that uh, is a nice benefit is that the file sizes almost half, almost cut in half. So should be better for you uh, trying to download it and listen to it on the go, which I think is a good thing. Yes. Uh, another thing, we've got three pieces of housekeeping. The second one is um, I got some advice from Mike Mamoff of player.fm about using a levelator on our sound. So uh, it should be yet again, this is like a constant battle to get this to record a phone call, <laughs> which you would think would be pretty easy this day and age. 
but it's actually pretty tricky. So uh, using this new thing called Levelator, which seems to be borderline magical. And uh, I think we'll, I think as you're listening to this, you'll notice that it's much uh, louder. So you should be able to have an increased dynamic range should be easier to hear. Uh, if, That's good. Yeah. If not, please let us know. Uh, and lastly, last bit of housekeeping is that we're going to be taking next week off because it's uh, end of year and Christmas. And I think we both have, I know speaking for myself, I have like approximately 10 tons of things to do between now and the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. That's a conservative estimate. Right. So we're giving you the week off listener, (laughs) (laughs) but then we'll be back. I think uh, January 4th is the first Friday uh, in the new year. Yeah, I think so. So cool. Shall we dive into the bug report? Sure. I'm dying to hear about the Safari rendering bug that you uh, okay. told me about. Yeah, I. Um, uh, it actually came up. I was working um, with a friend of mine on OS Ticket, and he was running into a bug. Uh, we have a we have a modal dialog that pops up in some places you know, for for confirmations and to set print options and things like that. It's your it's your typical modal dialog where it'll pop up in the center of the screen and there'll be an overlay div behind it that kind of. You know, darkens the rest of the screen. Mm-hmm. And he was running into an issue where like, if you open open the modal dialog with the overlay shows up and then you scroll down the page. Yep. Uh, when you close the dialog, the the parts of the overlay that are not within the visible viewport, like they don't go away. I mean it's it's oh. all one big div that's getting hidden, but the you know the Safari is not repainting you know, it. Was, was not repainting. Wow. That's irritating. And, yeah, it was irritating. And it turned out, I did some, some digging around, and it seems to be a, a bug in, like there, was a, there was a bug introduced in uh, Safari's implementation of uh, WebKit Overflow Scroll Touch, which mm-hmm. you had talked about, uh, I think, last week. Yep. And it turns out there's a bug in that that affects, um, affects how Safari renders some, some absolute position elements. Mm-hmm. And I, so, I mean, I guess that was the the bug report that I read sounded a little bit different, but I'm I'm thinking it was probably the same the same thing that was affecting it. Mm-hmm. And so, what I ended up doing to fix it is on on that overlay in the CSS. Um, basically, you you add a blank three uh, D. It's like a like a three D transformation that essentially does nothing. Mm-hmm. But what that does is it then kicks the browser into using hardware acceleration to do the rendering, and uh-huh. you know, then it will repaint the screen. Yeah, I see that. Uh, that is a that the three D zero, you know, three D zero 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 trick mm-hmm. is has been around for a little while, and I I I'm glad to hear that's fixed it, and and it's a good thing to be aware of. It's worth trying if you're having weird issues with. Uh, with transforms or opacity or animations because it's yeah, it was because of a bug it um 2d transforms i can't remember what it was now it was a long time ago but 2d transforms even if you're only doing a 2d transform if you use 3d you get better performance uh because of the way that they were ap- actually implemented so uh ah, so that's a that's a, a new bug that it fixes that's a new one that I've never heard of. Yeah. But uh, that's probably going to save someone uh, a few keyboards. 
<laughs> yeah, it was it was really weird, really really kind of frustrating because it's it's just one big div and it should either show it or hide it. Right. There's no in between. Yeah, how hard could it be, browser makers? <laughs> <laughs> Get with the program, Apple. Jeez, it's just a web page. Crying out loud. <laughs> So you've also got a a location hash, uh, chapter two. Yes. The return of location hash gotchas. The return of location hash gotchas. Yes, I was talking about using that last week and updating the location hash in the browser when you clicked on a link and like it, for instance in the sidebar to sort of sort of do like a, a deep linking within a page. Right. Um, using using um, JavaScript. And the issue I ran into there was even. When you you'd click a link and it would update the location hash, rather than following the link, it would programmatically update the location hash, mm-hmm. and load the page content. And the issue that I was running into there was even when I would prevent default or return false on the link, uh, as soon as that location hash was updated in the browser window, the browser would try and and jump to that anchor. Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, yeah, because you know, I I would have I would have thought that returning false on the link would stop that behavior, but when you when you specifically set the location hash, uh, it seems to want to jump to that link, and there's you know there's little you can do to stop it from doing that. So, but what you? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Just to make sure I understand. So you so you're preventing the default behavior of clicking on the link with the hash fragment, right? But then you are adding that to the location in the location bar. Right. So you're saying like location hash equals like programmatically. Yes. I guess that makes sense. Why wouldn't you want it to go to the... I th- uh, because it... Um, uh, there, are, there are sometimes um, animations and transitions that are programmatically attached uh. to that effect for this in this particular instance. Gotcha. Uh, and particularly in regards to the mobile mobile navigation menu. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So what I ended up, I mean, so so yeah, once you add the location hash to the window, um, regardless of anything else you do with that link to try and stop it, the browser's going to attempt to go you know, jump to that section on the page. Right. Well, that is what but, you're telling it to do. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, even even when you try and stop it beforehand, once right. you update that, it's going to do it. Right. Which was was causing it to jump down and hide part of the header and yada yada. Right. But so you can't really stop that. But what you can do is you can correct it kind of instantaneously. And so I just I added uh, immediately after setting location hash, I, I just added like scroll to window dot scroll to zero zero. Mm. And then what would you do? And then what happens after that? Does it then like like animate down to the portion? No, it executes so quickly that you can't tell. But is it is it supposed to animate? Like, I guess I'm not. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. I'm wondering, well, like, why would you change the hash but not move not the page? To, oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah, because it's like I'm I'm loading it inside of a con the the contents of that hash of that that div on the page, I'm loading it into another container div that's higher up in the page. Oh, okay. So you're, you're grabbing the content programmatically, pro, programmatically you don't want to. Yes. I see. Yes. And ideally, if I was going to do that, I'd use something like a JavaScript template, but in order to get it work with this, with, to work with this CMS, 
you know, you kind of have to have it in the DOM rather than like putting it in a template at the bottom of the page or something. Uh, okay. Well that, that'll make sense. And you want to, you want to maintain the, the, it makes sense that you want to maintain the, the URL link, mm-hmm. you know, the hash in the URL. So if somebody was going to bookmark it and come back there. Yeah. And you want it all to fall back and work when there's no JavaScript. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's, uh, that's, I wouldn't have thought to do it that way, but I'm, I'm surprised that it's, uh, it doesn't create like a flash or something, but that's, uh, that's a super easy, that's easier than what I would have thought of. That's for sure. Oh, it, it wasn't easy to get to that point. <laughs> I spent, I spent a long time trying to just stop it from happening to begin with. Yeah. I think my first thought would have been to remove the ID from the target element. Cause then there'd be nothing for it to go to and then put it back after I changed the hash. Hmm. But that would have been a that would have been a hell of a lot harder than just scroll to zero zero. Yeah, that is a that is a good idea. Because I'm I was just thinking like, well, what about all these hash bang sites that have you know like how do they prevent all that jumping? And I'm like, oh, because the thing doesn't exist. You know, like the way yeah. you know because there's nothing there's no destination. Yeah, that would that would yeah that would be another option. Like, rem, you know, remove the hash, display the div, or remove the ID, display the div. Once everything's done, reattach the ID. Right. Probably get into some wacky race condition there. The other thing I was thinking was that if you were going to, so what I was, what I, th- having not seen this, my thought was that you were, you wanted to like, from wherever you were, animate a scroll down to the area, you know, like a lot of these really long single page product yeah. websites, but it was jumping straight to it. And then I was like, oh, well you could. No, that that's easy to do. Yeah. 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 So no, it was um I'm I'm grabbing grabbing the content and displaying it higher up on the page. Cool. So. Oh, good one. Well I have a I have a location hash thing that's not you know, it's not the same thing at all, but it's only related because it's a location hash thing. Mm-hmm. But uh working on a site that has um, a ton of content pages with um, lots of uh, glossary terms sprinkled throughout. And for devices that, and we're you know doing it in like a progressive enhancement approach so that if it's a crap browser, even an e-reader, uh, you can just click on the word and it's, a, it's a, a link to a glossary page and then it's got a hashtag to the specific entry. Right. And we were, and, and the site has uh, Typekit web fonts included in it. Mm-hmm. So what we, was happening was you would click on a glossary term in a content page. It would go to the glossary page. It would go, you know, right to the spot that you wanted it to. And then the font would change and that would reflow the page so you were in the wrong spot. Mm. So the farther down the page you were, the, the farther off, the farther off it was. And, uh, I, and so uh, actually <laughs> this is a, a project I'm doing with Josh Clark. And he was, when I reported the bug to him or the situation to him, he was like, well, I'm sitting next to Jason Santa Maria. So let me ask him. Cause I guess he's <laughs> like the type get guy. Right. So, um, and Jason kind of dodged the bullet by saying that it shouldn't ever render without the font. So he was basically like, you guys must be doing something wrong with the font caching or something because there's, it should not ever render without the font. And I was pretty surprised to hear that. But if he said it, I believe it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then somehow it started working. Uh, and I, I wonder the way that he described so that we would, you know, you click and it would immediately have the proper font applied. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference was, the only difference was, we didn't change anything on the server. The only difference was that when I was seeing the the issue, I was testing off of localhost. And I, I think that it wasn't caching the font for some reason. I don't know if there was some sort of different handling because I was, you know, I was working off localhost, but I was still pulling the font over the network. Yeah, I've noticed sometimes the fonts do weird things with Typekit when I'm doing it over localhost and i think it probably has something to do with the code they have in there that deals with licensing restrictions and that type of stuff right so i do think that it's a non-issue and then we were like well wait a second if you know if somebody does have javascript enabled then what we're going to do in fact what we already did was they click on the click on the tag and the uh we we actually include the glossary as a json object in all the pages anyway mm-hmm. so if you do have javascript it just shows an overlay you know pointing at the word like a like a speech bubble and it says you know here's the definition yeah so if you have javascript you'll never navigate to the actual glossary page and if you don't have javascript you will navigate to the glossary pl- page but since you don't have javascript typekit won't work anyway so it ended up becoming a non-issue <laughs> yeah. yeah, in, in our yeah, particular kinda, case, but it, in other people's cases, it might not be. Yeah, if you're not caching that font, you could run into reflow issues. Right, and that's, if you're, and that's that's interesting. I guess it's, and I guess it's not really specific to Typekit either. I mean, if you have fonts uploaded to the server and you're still, you're, even if they're on your local server, if you're still not caching them, you could still run into that issue. Yeah, absolutely. It's not 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 Typekit really. Yeah, that's that's inter- interesting. It's it's not it's not something I would ever have thought of, but as soon as you said it, I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I was I was totally scratching my head. I was like, what the hell? Just, I mean, this is a very basic. Like, yeah. how did I end up on the wrong word? So <laughs> for ten minutes, I'm like, coming in. I'm like looking at the IDs. I'm like, what did I do? And there was like, yeah. But I was like, oh, flash of unfaunted content or whatever it is. Flash so th- of unstyled text, I believe. Yeah, probably. So cool. So that was a that was a pretty pretty fun bug report, I have to say. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so, so the solution on your end is to cache your fonts. Yeah, and I don't know. I th- I think that his I think I take <laughs> I, I take Jason's comment to mean that they're handling all that, mm-hmm. so you shouldn't need to worry about it because I don't you know I'm not like. Uh, I know enough to be dangerous on the server side, but uh, I've never gotten super duper into configuring like caching. Occasionally I'll go in and configure like to make sure the stuff's getting gzipped and, but it's always something I have to look up and, you know, carefully implement. I, it's not like I do that enough to memorize any of that stuff. I mean, I have to be honest. I've, I've done it, done it before on, on the server level, but a lot of times, I'll just I'll just throw something in like an app cache file. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'll just throw a font, throw the fonts in there. Yeah, and that I've done that on. Uh, I was I go back and forth between using app cache on my personal site, and it really does work for the fonts. I mean, it is like blazing fast. I mean, it's probably only you know, I don't know. It's probably like a few, maybe a hundred or two hundred milliseconds faster, but it feels like bang. <laughs> it's right. Unbelievable. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but, I, I did that when I redesigned mine this last time. I can immediately tell the difference. Oh, yeah. It's like, you're like, wait a second. Did it work? You're like, yeah, that's the font. Like, damn. <laughs> it's like, I didn't, I didn't see it change. Right. But I go back and forth, though, because having app cache on your site is really annoying for a lot of other reasons. Mm-hmm. That, uh, like, analytics, for example. Or uh, there's just, like, it's just, or, like, you go to, I, I just, I play pretty fast and loose on my personal site. And I can't tell you how many times I'm like, oh, fuck. it was the app cache. <laughs> uh, curses, app cache. Yeah, and what annoys me is, I mean, the browser checks the file last modified time to see if it needs to update from from the app cache. Checks the app cache file last modified time. Uh, actually, it checks the it checks to see if the file is different. Uh, right. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And in, instead of checking the last modified time, so you can't yes. just touch the file from the command line. Correct. You have to actually go in and change it. Correct. Yeah. It's version your app cache. Yes, exactly. And I've seen, uh, I've actually written PHP files that automatically hash the contents of all of your files on your directory so that anytime you change a CSS file or whatever, it automatically changes your app cache. Mm -hmm. But, um, but that's not a good idea. (laughs) If you have, I've, I've written, I've written, um, PHP scripts before. Just to just run from the command line to to, to regenerate the app cache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the way to go. If you have if you have a site that's even modestly busy and complicated, you just can't you know go through yeah. and yeah. I'm doing a, a side project right now that has a s- serious serious app cache component, mm-hmm. uh, and been doing a lot of experimentation with the differences between iOS. Five, iOS 6, and then whether or not an app is launched from the home screen as a full screen web app or if it's running in a browser and then also testing on a few Android devices and the different size limits and the behavior. It's just, woof. It adds up quick. Woof, yeah. It's crazy. But um, not that I didn't really mean to go off on an app cache tangent, but if people check out the uh, Financial Times Labs site there's a blog there that has easily the best advice about uh building like web apps with app cache and how to do it most easily and the basic advice is bootstrap the minimum number of files you possibly can using the app cache and then do everything else with like javascript and Mm -hmm. storing things in local storage and sql database and all that evaling javascript from from the database so cool well, speaking of, speaking of, uh, I guess I didn't mention tools, but, <laughs> but <laughs> you I'll, did mention JavaScript. I did mention JavaScript. Speaking of JavaScript, we've got some cool tools to talk about this week. Yes, we did. So I, I'll let you start off with Knockout JS, which I have heard of before, but uh, I think it was in. I think I heard of it when I was kind of like looking at Ember in Backbone, and, and yeah. And I also was hearing about Knockout and Angular, but yeah, can you, the, the uh, first the first time I was introduced to it, which was very recently, um, was kind of as a backbone alternative, even though even though they sort of do different things. And I was looking at both Knockout JS and Angular JS both, and um, I'm, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on either one of them because I've I've done actually very little with Knockout JS. And nothing with Angular other than look at the, look up look at the docs and decide uh, I like Knockout's implementation a little better. 
Mm-hmm. At um, I, the idea behind Knockout JS is that it's a library for uh, data binding, and mm-hmm. so essentially you're binding binding through data attributes, binding elements of your HTML to JavaScript um, objects. And so then, as soon as those objects are updated, it's automatically updated in your HTML. You don't have to listen for events. You don't have to respond to events. You just you just bind your HTML element to this data object and then manipulate that data object however you need to, and the, the DOM just, the, the knockout just sort of takes care of the DOM for you. Yeah, that's, that's, remember a while back, I, probably six months ago, I wrote something called Boutique JS. Yes. Yes, I, that's what I thought of when I when I saw it. Yeah, and it's I, I'm very curious to look at how they implement it because what I what I wanted to do and I kind of gave up on it because I couldn't find a way to do it the way I I thought it should work mm-hmm. was to throw events. You know, like if you if you update local storage or if you update SQL database, just throw an event and then have different you know, and then when you create HTML elements in your HTML, you just like put in there like Hey, listen for listen for any changes to this data model, and if right. a change happens, then you know refresh yourself. Yeah, yeah. I I immediately thought of you when I started reading this and, and seeing a few examples of it in action. It's like, like I, I really need to tell John about this. I think yeah, like- yeah. That's what I was shooting for. But there was it was something. The the issue was I couldn't listen. If I remember correctly, it's been a while, but it was a really small thing to implement. It it was maybe a hundred lines, and no big deal. But I could. The problem was I couldn't bind to. Uh, I couldn't say on a particular, like div tag. You know, like say I had a wrapper tag for a list of items or a UL mm-hmm. that was going to wrap a list of items. I couldn't bind to that and have that listen for events. I had to listen at the document level, mm-hmm. and then go find all the things. So you know what I mean. It was going to get. It was going to turn really complicated. Like. Like I was gonna have to, I'm not even sure how I could have done it. It was like you have to register. Yeah, it was weird. It, it was like it basically took the air wind out of my sails, and I was like, "Oh crap!" You know, I yeah, should probably I, just use Backbone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at any of the the Knockout JS source code, so I don't know how they're doing things under the hood. But from the from the little bit of experimenting I've done with it, it, it seems really nice, and I think I'm gonna. I think I'm going to use it on uh, the new version of Moodly that's in the works. Oh, yeah. I forgot to put that in the show notes. Um, tell us about Moodly a little bit and, and how you think you might use Knockout for it. Um, one of the, well, I'm, I'm redoing Moodly version two, and it's going to be the initial version I did it because I did it as a Sinatra application. Mm-hmm. And I think now I'm going to, I'm going to redo it with Rails, and that's, largely just because that I want to get back into doing more Rails development myself, just mm-hmm. just because it's such a marketable skill to have. Yep. And I, I want to get get back to the point where I'm I'm more familiar with some of the changes that have come out in the new version, mm-hmm. new versions of Rails. Yep. That sort of thing. And um one of one of the things I want to do when I re- redo Moodly is it's going to get a huge um UI overhaul. Um, I'm looking for looking to be a lot cleaner and a lot cleaner, more responsive, and a lot more mobile friendly. I'm definitely going to take a mobile first approach to it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So there's there's probably going to be more kind of I guess sort of more AJAX components and more um, just a, a more refined, more responsive UI. 
and more emoticons. And more emoticons, <laughs> yes. They're yes, awesome. you, you saw my, I sent you a sneak peek of my. Yeah, they're my, totally my hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go just from setting the one, the one big slider to you know, pick an emoticon that describes your mood, and yeah. then if you want to, if you want to say more, say more. They're so funny. <laughs> yes, I I found those and found those and purchased a license for them, and it's like they're great. I love them. They're little little blue crazy, crazy little blue emoticons, and there's no way I could have done those myself in in less than a year. <laughs> I know. I, I can't. I mean, looking at them, I'm always blown away when I see somebody that does like Photoshop work that is that detailed. Yeah. And expressive. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, they're called. I think they're called very emotional emoticons or something. Yes. Like that. Yes, they are. They're hilarious. Yes, and it's like you know, I I've used Photoshop for years. I have a degree in design. I feel like I have the skill to do that type of stuff, but I would never have the time and desire to spend that much that much time and that much detail into like one little yeah like little thing yeah what are they like 60 how big are they um i think the biggest ones are 128 by 128 yeah so it looks like it, for it, there's probably over 100 of them 80 of them or something uh there's there were two different sets and each set was uh, i think 40 icons a piece and I, I picked 50 out of both sets yeah so i can imagine the woman just sitting there for an entire week just working on one 128 pixel squared Photoshop file. Yeah, they're they're that detailed. Yeah, it's like I I couldn't do it. <laughs> I don't have to. I mean, they're they're beautiful. It's gorgeous work, and yeah. I mean, I tell you, if I ever need an icon design, she's going to be at the top of my list of people I contact. Totally. Yeah, the one with the streams of tears shooting out of its eyes is like <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> they look like real. It's like Disney. Yeah. So. Good stuff. So, you know, kudos to her. Yeah. So, and the, yeah, the, it, it just looks good. Like the little, the, like, uh, style tile mood board thing you did so far looks, it's going to mm -hmm. be so cool. Looks yeah, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. In your copious free time. Yes. So, I had a JavaScript tool that I came across called mm -hmm. MarkupJS. Yeah. Yeah. I, w I was interested in this too. Yeah, I've been I've been looking really closely at AppCloud, which is a um, sort of like a PhoneGap competitor from Brightcove, which um, is most well known for video hosting. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like a, a commercial grade paid version of YouTube, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, I started to say, isn't Brightcove most known for Brightcove? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they so they and. You know, they've got all these big content producers, so I imagine that they were hearing from them that, you know, they're having, they want to be on mobile and it's like so difficult and, how, you know, we need to get, we want to get these videos into mobile apps and what's the easiest way to do that. So they must have seen an opportunity and they created this app cloud thing, which is, like I said, kind of like PhoneGap. It's uh, a wrapper concept, you know, HTML, you write HTML apps and they get wrapped in a, in a native wrapper. Uh, and so anyway, I've been looking at it. It's, it's different than PhoneGap. The wrapper has a lot of differences. Um, it supports multiple files. For example, it's not like a single page app. You can make it like a multi-page app and there's a different kind of manifest and it doesn't access as many of the device APIs 
but it has it, it's like a whole it's like a whole suite of things. It's the, and and one of the things in the suite is uh, a a um, this markup JS, which is what you'd use for templating if you were going to use App Cloud. And so I, was, I had never heard of it, and I was like looking at it, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the templating, the JavaScript template engine of my dreams." Yeah, it's it's what you wanted Mustache to be. Right, it's exactly what I wanted Mustache to be. Like Mustache prides itself on being logicless, mm-hmm. but to a fault. It takes it a little too far. Yeah, I'm- it's like I don't want to modify my my. Every single time I have to modify my array just because I want all caps here and not over here or a different date format in a particular place. Uh, and so, so what, so what markup JS does, it's the, it's like the exact same concept as mustache, except you can pipe values into, you know, air quotes, pipe values into JavaScript functions in the template. Mm-hmm. And it's like trivially simple. And then there's like 40 built-in pipes to begin with, and it's really easy to write your own. Yeah, it looked really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. So like if you're familiar with mustache, you can imagine like, um, you know, a mustache. It does looping basically the same way and, you know, you, the variable substitution basically the same way. you got like the curly brackets. But after your variable name, you put a pipe and then you can say like a function and then... Um, you know, it's just like a single word, like uh, upcase or downcase or date format or greater than, and then you can give it a parameter. So you could say like, uh, if, you know, you could see, you just be like, let's say the data point is age, you could say age and then pipe and then greater than, and then parameter 50. And then it would have one, you'd do one thing like, dude, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> And then in the in the else, you just be like, oh, you're still a whippersnapper or whatever. And it's the perfect for me. It is the perfect balance of simplicity and uh, and and power. Mm-hmm. And it's really small. I think it's I think it's one point seven k or something like that. Yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, it's great. It's super easily easy to extend. It does everything you want it to do. And the guy who wrote it. Um, you know, he was the same thing. He said the same thing. He's like, I wanted to use mustache, but it was just too, it just didn't do enough. Yeah. And every time I look at handlebars, I'm like, I feel like I'm looking at sense of touch. I'm like, what? <laughs> like using all these terms, you know? Yeah. And those guys are wicked smart. Like the, like, uh, it's Yehuda cats. And I think Yehuda was the, the one that originally created handlebars. I think so. And I'm like, it's too far the other way. You know, it's like, it does everything. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I want. I just want something simple that does enough. Yeah, a, a nice happy medium. Yeah, exactly. So I I am absolutely going to use MarkupJS in my... Uh, I'm actually working on a, a demo app, and I'm going to use MarkupJS to see if, I, if it's really as awesome as it looks. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm yeah, going to love it. You- you first mentioned markup JS, and I know, but like my my brain went to Markdown JS for some reason. Mm. It's a mark, but, but yeah, markup, not Markdown. I, yes. I totally went the wrong direction. <laughs> Heavens. So last week, pretty sure it was last week, I mentioned Yeoman. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I did give it a a test drive uh, over the weekend, and was. 
I think it would be an overstatement to say blown away, but I was really impressed. And it looks like it will be the thing that makes me make the leap to uh, Compass, SAS, all that stuff, and potentially even CoffeeScript. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the name of the, the app you use? It's like Live Code. CodeKit. CodeKit, right. Uh, it, it has, so Yeoman is basically a command line tool that has a bunch, has sort of features of CodeKit where it will, it will like live recompile uh, CSS preprocessor files and CoffeeScript. And does it reload the browser too? Yes. Yeah. So Yeoman does that as well. And it's, it's bordering on magic because you, you basically say you go and you just CD into a directory. You say, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it's something like Yeoman in it. And then Yeoman server or Yeoman run. I think it's Yeoman server. And it starts up a uh, Node.js instance and your browser launches. It goes straight to that page and you edit stuff. And as you save the files, your browser reloads. So it's, it's just like CodeKit, mm-hmm. but there's no GUI. And, uh, and, but here's the thing that blew my like mind. Here's where I, my mind was blown was I, I was like, all right, well, I'm on my local network. So let me point my uh, iPhone at this IP address of my desktop machine that I was working on. So I did that and sure enough, bang, it loaded, which is to be expected. But this is what killed me when I saved on my desktop, even my mobile phone refreshed. Oh, nice. Which I don't even, like, I don't even understand how it works on the desktop. Never mind. Like, how does that work? Uh, on the desktop, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. There is there is JavaScript you can include in your page that s- yeah, somehow communicates with the that makes sense uh, with the Chrome API, yeah. or you can do it, or you can programmatically like interact with the that particular API in Chrome. Right. It's not via that. some third party. It's not that though. I checked that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it can inject unless it's injecting JavaScript into the like memory space of the page without it being visibly included. You know what I mean? But that can't be. Yeah, that's, hmm. That can't be. Like, how could the web, the web server couldn't do that? How can the web server force the page? Yeah, how does the web server force a page page on a mobile phone to refresh? And there's no network, network process, you know, activity indicator, nothing. It just refreshes. I think it's I think it's something specific to WebKit browsers. Like I don't think you could do it in like a mobile version of Firefox. Uh, that's a good good point. I should check that. I, I think it's I think it's WebKit specific. It's almost like I mean, my first thing was like, oh, it must be like long polling or something, mm-hmm. where this the the uh, the web server is keeping the connection open with by never completing the request, and then when I save something, it sends more down. Yeah, could it be a WebSocket thing, maybe? It must be. I have no idea. It's like, it's totally beyond me. I'm like blown away. Some kind of some kind of WebSocket interaction with that API that says, hey, refresh. Maybe. But so the, the thing that's cool about it is it's like, creates the shadow browser concept where the, the, where the you know, I could have like six devices open, assuming that yeah. it worked in, in other browsers. I could have the Kindle Fire and iPhone and Android and another laptop or, or the 
Chromebook, have them all pointing at this thing and just be saving, you know, working on my laptop, saving and like look over everything else as long as the screens didn't go to sleep. Yeah, it's like DIY edge inspect. Exactly. It's freaking awesome. (laughs) And that's just one feature. It does like a whole bunch of stuff. So like you do this like uh, Yeoman Deploy. I'm probably getting all the names wrong, but it's basically Yeoman Deploy or Package, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And it concatenates all your JavaScript files. It like, you know, it it does everything. It has has test runners in there, has a bunch of stuff that's totally beyond me. And uh, and let me tell you, the install process was hilarious. They have like, like you, you're like, uh, uh, you know, brew install Yeoman or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious. They have like, like Super Mario Brothers colored graphics that, <laughs> that come down in the command line. Nice. It's hilarious. Like the level of polish and, and humor, it's great. It's amazing. So it, it's just fun to use. Uh, it gets everything. It uh, does. It's does it i'm trying to think if it does any i'm pretty sure it does some git i think it automatically turns i think yeoman in it also creates a git repo yeah i feel like it might from what little i've seen of it yeah it does everything you want you know and all from the mm-hmm. command line there's tons of stuff oh oh right and you can you can just go into an empty directory and be like uh uh, whatever it is, Yeoman Create or Yeoman New App or something, and it asks you a couple questions, and then boom, you've got you know HTML boilerplate, you've got Bootstrap if you want it, you've got uh, jQuery if you want it, all the stuff that you, all the stuff you probably use anyway, mm. and it's just like bang, there it is. Nice. Start coding. Nice. Yeah, yeah I am. Cool. I am big into automation tools lately. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 my my newest obsession, and and maybe we can have a talk about those further one day because I have a lot of a lot of cool server side stuff. Mm. Yeah, that'd be great. So maybe maybe a topic for another episode. Yes. So let's see. I've got I've got one more tool to talk about, and then yeah, I've, and this is this is not one I've actually heard of before, so I'm interested in hearing about it. I was I was really disappointed in the internet for not letting me know that this existed before. <laughs> um, How dare you, internet? Yeah, really. So so the thing is called reflection, and it's actually the company who makes it. I think is uh, Squirrel, and they actually, you know, they, in my opinion, they've done. They kind of scrambled a little bit on the branding because in some places it's called Reflector and some places it's called Reflection and and they also make Air Parrot and like a lot of the emails and the licensing emails have inadvertently said Air Parrot instead mm-hmm. of it, whatever it is. So anyway, the the name of the application that I'm talking about is Reflection.app and it's a it's a you know a regular Mac desktop Mac binary application. Mm-hmm. And it's available at <laughs> reflectorapp.com. <laughs> and it's even called Reflector on the page. But when you download it, it's called Reflection. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> it's confusing. So I'm going to call it Reflector. <laughs> okay. And anyway, what it does is it turns it, just to totally simplify it, it turns your Mac into an Apple TV. So when you, 
open up an iPod or you open up iTunes on another computer or you open up, you launch uh, something on your iPad, you can airplay to the computer, mm-hmm. which is crazy useful. Yeah, I've been using a little app to go the other direction, actually, and have actually used my use my iPad as a second monitor for my uh, MacBook Air. What's that one called? Uh, Air Display. Ah, uh, yes, I've heard of that. Air Display, and that uses it as an external monitor, so you're not it's yeah. not mirroring. Right. No, you can mirror with it if you want to, but you can also just use it as an external monitor. Mm. Cool. So I I found myself using it. Uh, using it as like an ex- a second monitor for my laptop, so I can I can do things in lap in, on my laptop and have my, you know, just like drag all my tool palettes over onto the iPad and then have the, the main workspace on the laptop. For, mm, cool for stuff. Cool, cool. So, for training, this is going to be a huge big deal for me because what I've been doing in the past is I have this like webcam on a gooseneck that I point down at the at the phone or the ipad or whatever and it's just not a great solution yeah uh so this is like huge for that and i do a lot of you know if i'm if i'm working on something generally always the the flow is that i'll do it in the web browser on the desktop so like desktop chrome Mm -hmm. and i'll do like a you know when i'm done with a piece of work i'll virtually always make a quick like three to five minute screencast of it and send it to the client so you know because it's the middle of the night probably yeah yeah, and then they can look at it later and be like oh okay these are the things to test these are things that should work and these are things that that aren't implemented yet like these buttons don't work yeah yeah and just on a kind of side note here you're you're the first person i know of who's actually when they're presenting things to a client actually put together a screencast to do it rather than just sending photos or an email or what have you Mm. And I have to say, I've I've started doing that on a couple of occasions now. Kind of pick that up from you, and like they they really respond to it so much better. Oh, it's so much better. <laughs> it is. It's so much better. And it's easier for you. Yeah. It's. I don't, have I don't to know write why. Everything out. Yeah, I don't know why everyone doesn't do this. It's really yeah. easy. Yeah. It's way easier than typing, and and the other thing is like a lot of times. So two there are two things that happen. One is that a lot of times I will. If I went to type something up, I would have left something out, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see when you can see the other person kind of like, you know, their mouse cursor hovering over something like they're thinking about it. There's just like way more information transmitted. Yeah. And it's, it's dead simple people. There's no question about like, you know, people understanding the terminology you're using in the writing. They can see what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I have a tendency to sometimes be too technical in my writing. Mm. Yeah. It, well, it's hard. I mean, it's really yeah. hard. You know, they don't know. You're not going to say, like, if I was typing it out, it wouldn't be like, you know, you, you say tap on this button and, you know, this dialogue should appear. But you're not you're not going to say stuff like tap on this button and you should see a dialogue, you know, spring from the background to the foreground with a with a pop <laughs> animation. You're not going to talk through all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So if it didn't do that and... I don't know. It's just from years of years of like going back and forth over email, like them saying it doesn't work and me saying, yeah, it does. And you know, <laughs> what's the, you know, and then the, I just send a screencast and like, Oh, so that's one thing. And the other thing is a lot of times I catch bugs at the last second when I'm doing the screencast, mm. 
where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a full run through all of the features that I implemented and go through bop, 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 bop. And if there's going to be a bug, it's going to come up right then. Yes, it's like an, an extra an extra step on your part in terms of quality control. Yep, yep, it's a double check. So, yeah, it's. I mean, I think the only trick to it is to try and keep them real short, like three to five minutes so you can upload them or email them fairly reasonably. Yeah, so the file size doesn't get huge. Right, yeah, QuickTime's really bad about creating huge files, so try and do it with, like... Uh, a, a pro app like ScreenFlow, which is expensive, but you know I use it for a ton of stuff, so it made sense for me. Yeah, everyone I know who's bought ScreenFlow has said it's been worth it. Oh yeah, I mean if you do any kind of like screen recording, it's the bomb. So easy to use. So there's another tool for you, gang. ScreenFlow. <laughs> can't it can't it's it's great. It's so awesome. It's difficult to go back to other like editing programs and be like, oh God, how do I use this thing? Yeah. So uh, I guess that brings us to the end. We, uh, I, I thought it was going to take, I thought this was going to be a two hour show. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, well, it probably could have been, you know, I have, I have a longer list if you'd like me to go. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have to get back to coding in Xcode. Mm. Yeah. I'm doing some Xcode. Which, some uh, objective C are you? What's that? Doing some objective C are you? Uh, it's honestly, the new Xcode has, you can do so much with the storyboard that I barely have had to touch any objective C at all. Oh, but, uh, that is the next step. Binding yeah. some data to table views and collection views. Yeah. So I guess that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again, not next week, but the week after for the Niche Podcast. Next year. Next year. See you next year. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Bye.